There could not be a more perfect song to introduce the end of the year on holiness and the beginning of the year on salt and light. Cause never in a million lives Would he have dreamed of Bethlehem But standing at the manger He saw with his own eyes The message of the angel come to life Joseph said, why me? I'm just a simple man of trade. Why him? With all the rulers in the world. Why him? Inside this stable filled with hay. Why just an ordinary girl Now I'm not one to second guess what angels have to say But this is such a strange way to save the world had come as he deserved there would have been no Bethlehem no lowly shepherds at his birth but Joseph knew the reason love had to reach so far as he held the Savior in his arms, he must have thought, why me? I'm just a simple man of truth. Why him with all the rulers in the world? Why Inside this stable filled with hay, why her? She's just an ordinary girl. Now I'm not one to second guess what angels have to say. But this is such a strange way to save the world 
what angels have to say. But this is such a strange way. Such a strange way. To say the world. We have discovered through the year that holiness is not about us. It's not about our behavior. It's not about our understanding. It's not something we achieve. Holiness, because there is only one Holy One, is about assimilating into our lives the characteristics of God. Only one is holy. Only God is holy. And therefore, for us to be holy, we simply need to reflect who He is. But there are some characteristics that take us into the next year, that are a bit strange, that are unpredictable with God. Holiness is extended into strange places. And holiness is extended into strange people. And holiness comes at strange times. Doesn't it sometimes bother you that God's schedule is so much different than yours? His calendar just doesn't seem to catch up. And so let's talk about these characteristics of God and how we are called to have the very same characteristics. The first one is extending His holiness into some hostile and foreign places, strange places. If you will, <coughs> excuse me, turn to, <coughs> I'm sorry. <coughs> Let me just get one apology out. I've got a horrible cold. So you won't be getting your holy kiss now this morning, will you? And uh, But I've got these dry-up things in me, so I'm just going to have to keep drinking and coughing, and, and I apologize from the very beginning there. Uh, and just to take it that every time I start coughing, I'm sorry for it. Uh, if you have your scriptures with you, turn to Matthew chapter 5. And we're just going to read one verse today. We're, we're going to spend so long on these verses in the future that you won't miss, uh, you won't miss this uh, um, if we don't do the whole thing this morning. As a matter of fact, in that one verse, we're going to concentrate on one word. And it's a place. It's a destination of God. It says, <clears throat> you are the salt of the earth. I want you to remember that word earth. That's our concentration. That's your mission. Because that, as we will see, was God's mission. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It is good for nothing anymore except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Why did God, having the perfect atmosphere... Why did Jesus 
having the perfect environment. I mean, who was surrounded by the heavenly host, all of the armies of heaven who bowed down to him and glorified him and revered him and obeyed him. Why did he choose to come to a hostile and foreign and hurtful territory? Let me write. Let me let me tell you a principle that it's important for you. If you have your skirm, if you have your sermon notes and you're writing this down, write this down. If not, remember this. Geography tells us intimate details about biography. We have known that from the Garden of Eden to the manger. Geography tells us intimate details about biography. That is to say. You can tell who a person is by who they gravitate toward for what reason and who they stay away from for what reason. Many people say that you can tell a lot about the person, a person, by looking at their checkbook. I think you can tell more about a person by looking at their schedule. Because geography, where we choose to be physically, who we choose to be with physically, says a lot about who we are. Because proximity equals proclivity. That is, as you are near to people, you will tend to spend your life on them or be very influenced by them. And the reverse is true. As you are away from them, the influence will go away, at least partially. That will be the tendency. You can tell what has happened in a person's life by how they arrange their distance from someone else. We knew that from the Garden of Eden. What happened with Adam and Eve right after they ate the forbidden fruit? They changed their geographical position. They went behind a bush. And they put a barrier in between them and God. Why? Because geography gives us intimate details about biography. And when God came walking in the middle of the garden, in the cool of the day, and he said, where are you? That was not a geographical question. You know God can look through a bush. God's real good at hide and seek. So he is not that God couldn't find Adam. The question wasn't geographical. The question was biographical. Adam, look at yourself. You've distanced yourself from me. What does that mean for your life? We see that same thing in the opposite end of the spectrum when the holy God of the universe, the unconquerable God of the universe, comes to be near us by being like us. Because geography gives us intimate details about biography who God really is inside. Everyone knows just from simple experience that whatever you hang around will have an influence on you or you'll have an influence on it or them. It's, uh, it's just, a, it's just a, a, an axiom. I was in Books a Million the other day uh, buying a book that I'd been wanting for quite a while and, and uh, just a few days ago really and... and uh, <laughs> And I stand in line. And I, I don't mind standing in the checkout lines because it gives me a chance to just kind of look around and check out people and see what's happening. And it's, it's kind of cool. So there's this little three-year-old girl behind me. I mean, just as cute as a button. Curls, just, uh, un oh. 
But she's real sad. You can tell she's real sad. Got her thumb in her mouth. She's looking at all... You've been in checkout lines, how they put the stuff there that you can just, oh, I think I'll buy that. She's looking at all this stuff real sad. And she finally says, I want money. And the woman who's with her says, oh, you want mommy? The girl takes her thumb out of her mouth and says, I want money. You see how quickly important things in life can be replaced <laughs> simply because of your proximity and the draw it has on you. Think then of the dangerous trip of God. Think then of the, the extension of His holiness into a world that was anything but holy. St. Thomas Aquinas once said this, if the primary aim of the captain of the ship was for the preservation of the ship, he would always keep it in port. The primary aim of God could not have been the survival of His Son or even the protection of His Son. The primary aim of God could not have been comfort or familiarity because He left port in Jesus Christ. Now, I know that uh, when, when my sons were growing up, Beck always said, safety first. Safety first. I, I want you boys to remember, safety first. They never listened to her, but that was her motto. That's a mother's motto. I understand that. But the father's motto is mission. You have a mission. You are to go where you are to go for a purpose. And many times it won't be familiar, and many times it won't be safe, and many times it sure won't be comfortable. But I'm sending you to somewhere because you being there is important than you being comfortable. Think of how God formed His people. God called them out of comfort. The Greek word for the church is still called out one, ekklesia. Ek means out. Kaleo means to call. We are the ones who are called out of the world, but called back into the world. When God went to Abraham in, 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 or Abram in, in Genesis 12, he says, okay, I'm going to make of you a great nation. First job, get up and leave everything you know. And I'm not even giving you a map. I'm not even telling you where you're going. You have no idea where you're going. Get up, start walking. It was uncomfortable. It was unfamiliar. It was unsafe. Why did God choose that way of forming a people? Why did God choose to lead that people through slavery, those slaves through the wilderness, and those slaves then to a promised land that was anything but inviting? If you want to turn, as a matter of fact, to Numbers chapter 13, you can get a little glimpse of this extension of God in dangerous ways to form His characteristics into His people. Numbers 13, verse 17. I'll just, I'll just kind of run through this quickly. I won't read all the words. But I want you, I want you to see what these people saw when they came to the promised land. <clears throat> then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan. He said to them, go up there into the hill country, see what the land is like. 
whether the people who live in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many. How uh, is the land in which they live? Is it good or bad? How are the cities in which they live? Are they open camps or fortifications? Now, how is the land? Is it fat or lean? Are there trees in it or not? Make an effort to get some of the fruit of the land. So they go up. <laughs> they come by, back. Verse 25. When they returned from spying out of the land, at the end of 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. <coughs> Excuse me. And showed them the fruit of the land. And thus they told him, we went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. They had a, they had a, a, a branch of grapes that was so big, it had to be carried, a bunch of grapes, it had to be carried on a pole between two guys. It was so huge. This is the fruit of the land, they said. Nevertheless, <laughs> you want to know where good news, bad news jokes come from? The Bible. The good news is, the land is great. The bad news is, the people who live in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Enoch there, very warlike and large people. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, well, we should by all means go up and take possession of it for we shall surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we're not able to go up against the people. They're too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land, which they spied out saying, the land through which we have gone in spying out is a land that devours its inhabitants. Do you ever wonder where the expression, they'll eat you alive, came from? It's a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. Remember when you were little and, and it just seemed like a big people's world? Remember how helpless you felt? Some of us still have that perspective. Everybody's big. There also we saw the Nephilim, and we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. This guy's probably around 5'5 five, five right here. <laughs> so we were in their sight. Why would God take them to a promised land that was hostile and foreign and terribly uncomfortable? I'll tell you why. Because God foreshadowed in the Jewish people exactly what he would do in Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of the Old Testament. To foreshadow perfectly the life of Jesus Christ so that no one misses that Jesus is the Messiah. And it's exactly what God did himself in coming down out of heaven. The fulfillment of his life was to go into a hostile territory as a weak little person. Why? Because that's the way to be close to the people you love. There was something accomplished in that that could never be accomplished by the heights of heaven, nor the glories of the transcendence of pure holiness. There was something in that, that holiness in a very strange place, in a very strange way that came closer and made was made more available to anyone. God, it would be predicted, if you thought about the popular uh, um, 
images of Messiah should have come as, a, as some sort of soldier, some sort of powerful force, some sort of majority. But he didn't. And it still is the way God distributes himself in the world. Through people who are placed near people who need them. Because God has a concern. And the concern is for every person in this world to have available for them the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every person. Because everyone is important, saved and unsaved. Everyone is important. Wei Jinsang, the Chinese dissident who was released from custody a few weeks ago because of his ill health, wrote an article from a New York hospital bed um, that said, <coughs> excuse me, was he in Chicago or New York? I, I, it doesn't matter. Uh, anyhow, that said, that was answering charges that, um, that chi- the China, communist China, was just going great guns economically. He was answering charges because 19 years ago, Wei Jinsang, not unlike Martin Luther, nailed a protest to a door. The communists were indicating that there would be four major revolutions in China. One was agricultural, one was commercial, one was economic, one was cultural. But he said there must be a fifth revolution, and that is the revolution of democracy. Because until you have that, none of the rest of them are complete. And so as he is out, they say, well, China looks like to be a building economic power. He said, you don't understand China. They have wealth, but it is now being gathered by a group of very powerful people. The poor people aren't getting that wealth. It's the corrupt government that's getting that wealth. That revolution has not taken place. I want to tell you, God has the same concern that Christianity not be encapsulated for a certain group of people that simply gathers together and does not make the riches of God available to anyone who wants to partake. Anyone. The revolution is not complete until we've gone into every land, to every person. Why? Because people are important. The book that I'd wanted to get for some time, uh, and I picked up, is Angela's Ashes. I don't know how many of you have read that. It's a biography. It's a Pulitzer Prize-winning biography of a guy who was brought up. He starts out the book like this. I love this. He says, I don't know how I survived my childhood. He said, the best of childhoods are not all that great. But he said... I was poor, and what's worse, I was Irish, and what's worse, I was Catholic, and what's worse, we all were wet, and because they had, they were so poor they couldn't, they couldn't get dry, and 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 he goes on from there. And I don't read much biography, but I, but I, I love to hear, I love to read this man's story, and it reminds me of the old days when I, when I got in a lot of personal conversations. I was always a stinky counselor. I've never been a good counselor, but what I love to do is hear people's stories. I love to hear people. Every person in here has a wonderful story. Every person in here, God has molded intricately into their present 
state. You all have worthwhile stories. Why would God come in such a vulnerable form? Why would God extend holiness into this, into this uh, place? Because you're all important. There isn't one person here who doesn't have a worthwhile story, who doesn't have a glorious story that is worth living forever in heaven. So God took literally baby steps. And He came down. And He did not withhold Himself from the world. He was not afraid of the world. He, by His simple vulnerability, somehow conquered the world. Somehow. And He has taken it over in ways that we will see years from now. I want you to know that's always been the way of the church. The way of the church is not just to gather together for worship. By the way, I love gathering together for worship. I, I was so, I mean, I, I just had an awful night last night. I could not wait to get here with my church family this morning. This, I, this, this is such a blessing for me. So, so please don't let me uh, say that it's not good that we're together. It is good that we're together. And we need to get together in order to keep all the rest of it in perspective. Because all of that that is out there is for the purpose of worship, ultimately. In Romans it says that our bodies are living sacrifices, which is our spiritual form of worship. And so everything we do is to be put into the context of our appreciating God, giving Him ultimate worth. But this isn't where we stay. Remember, we're the called out ones. And the church has a history of going into the most pagan places and seeing them come to glorify Christ. Let me ask you a question. How do you think we got Christmas? Many of you, many of you know this story. We didn't all, people don't know when Jesus was born exactly what day. People didn't, they didn't have, calendars weren't all that important back then. So nobody knows exactly the day. But in the fourth century, after Constantine was converted to Christianity, the emperor was converted to Christianity, it was important for them to pick out a day to celebrate. They estimated that a, 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 a good, um, accurate parameter for his birth would be December. And they landed on December 25th for a very specific reason. It was the celebration of a pagan god. Saul, S-O-L, the sun god. It was, the most, it was one of the most celebrated um, 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 holidays of the time. And so they took this pagan day that was literally dedicated to the undefeatable sun, S-U-N, that you could not stop from rising. And they made it to glorify the sun, S-O-N, that you could not stop from rising. That's how, that's why we celebrate Christmas on, the, on December 25th. We went into a pagan holiday, the most pagan holiday of the day, and said, we're going to make this glorify Christ. How do you think we got Christmas trees? Uh, they weren't around Bethlehem. It wasn't until the 1600s. And, and still people, there are people who are very superstitious about Christmas trees because they say, oh, it's a pagan thing. They're druids. They worship them. It's a tree for crying out loud. 
<clears throat> but Christians saw that kind of superstition. They saw the symbolism of the evergreen for it being ever a, so- a symbol of everlasting life. They saw the lights. They could, they could put lights on the tree to symbolize the light of the world, thereby the everlasting light. And they said, we're taking it over for Christianity. And that's exactly what they did. That's what we do. We extend ourselves into the most pagan places and we say, somehow this thing ought to glorify Christ. That's why we're going to the arena. And that's why we ought to be at home in the arena. I know what happens in the arena. I've been there a couple of times. I know the language. I know the beer. I know, I know all that stuff. People say, well, can you have church? Of course. One, for one brief shining moment, that whole thing ought to be a place that glorifies Christ. That's who we are. So God is one who extends himself into the most unlikely places. Why? To make himself available to the most unlikely people. (laughs) Don't ever forget, people are the key. God, by coming down as a person and by dispersing, distributing his church as people, makes us available. The strongest form of the church is not in its gathered form, it's in its available form. Reggie was saying uh, yesterday that it was the anniversary of the almost drowning of his middle son. Uh, some years ago, um, Bob, little Bob, fell in a pool. And by the time they got him, he was, he was out and he was blue. And they called 911 in absolute desperate panic. And in less than 60 seconds, this is a providence of God, in less than 60 seconds, there was a police officer right there given CPR, revived the child. He's had no ill effects. He's fine. Now, here's my question to you. Why? How could he get there so fast? And the answer is simple. He wasn't at the police station. He was out among the people where he ought to be. He was making himself available. He was in geographical proximity to those that needed him most. Can the answer be any different for the church? Can the answer be any different for us? Yes, I know God calls us into uncomfortable places. And I know God calls us into unfamiliar places. And I, I, I know all that. But if we're to be any good, if we're to be salt... We've got to go into those places that have no salt. We've got to speak to those people that have different values than we do. We've got to be available. Leith Anderson said he was watching not too long ago uh, some um, people being baptized. There were 14 of them in all. And, uh, and, and they do as we do. Um, they give the people a chance to, if they want to, give a little testimony about how they come to Christ. And... Uh, <clears throat> He said, what interested me was that every one of those people who gave a testimony, out of of every one of them that did, not one of them had given their life to Jesus Christ inside a church on a Sunday morning. Now, please, we do have people who give their lives to Christ and are saved every week here on Sunday morning inside a church. That's not my point. My point is that God is moving outside of His church. 
And he's moving in very powerful ways outside of his church because his spirit is getting people hooked up in relationships. And the reason that the Spirit's doing that is because that's exactly what the model of Jesus Christ was. Somebody extending, the characteristics of God extending themselves into foreign territories, into places that are not their home or don't even seem like home. Some of you may think, well, if the church is going to make very much of a difference in the future, the church really has to get powerful. And it has to be together. And it has to be a coordinated effort. Not done. Not done. Bob, God, God works in baby steps. God works in baby ways. Do you know that the most determinative advancement in science right now is in nanotechnology? That's the future of the influence of our lives. Nanotechnology. Nanotechnology is a very small arrangement of computer chips. Nano, uh, this, this, the, the, the measurement here is at one millionth the width of a human hair. That's how small it is. And the future of how those little computer chips are going to help our health and our technology and our businesses and so on and so forth is incredible. They will have a tremendous influence because they are small and distributed. God calls the same thing for the church. That's when we have the influence. When we're small and distributed. Pray with me. God, thank you that we could have your characteristic and go out into the world not to hang around till next Sunday, but go out into the world to be available for those who need us in whatever way they need. We're not very good at it. We're many times helpless to do what we'd love to do. But God, as you make us available, as you distribute us this week, use us to be salt on the earth. Thank you that your destination is our destination. Thank you that your strangers are our strangers. Potential family. Use us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.